righty, so the uh, North Carolina State Supreme Court has now struck down our voter ID law that was written after we voters passed it by an overwhelming majority a few years back. Democrats really, 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 really don't want there to be election integrity for some reason. Although, remember, you know, keep in mind, if they win, it's gravy. But the point is to cast their opponents as racists. And that is according to, um, oh my gosh, Hal, uh, Hal Weatherman. He was the, I almost drew a blank on his name. Um, Hal Weatherman was the chief of staff for Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest. Dan Forrest and Hal Weatherman went to Philadelphia years ago uh, when they had just won election. Along beside uh, Governor Roy Cooper had uh, won when he got into office. And Cooper could not attend this event in Philadelphia. And as how Weatherman tells the story, they go up there. They're sitting in this dinner and they're all talking with these 13 other governors because it was something like the original 13 colonies and here are the 13 governors and whatever. And they assumed they being Terry McAuliffe from Virginia, Democrat, and Ed Rendell from Pennsylvania, Democrat. They assumed that uh, Dan Forrest was a Democrat because in their states – Governors and lieutenant governors are like a slate, and ours are not. And they were yucking it up and talking about the plan and all of this, and and they literally told Dan Forrest and Hal Weatherman that all of the lawsuits over the redistricting and the voter ID and all of this, it's, it's all about one thing. It doesn't matter if we actually win the cases. What matters is whether or not our constituents believe Republicans are racist. That's the purpose. That's what it's all been designed to do. Hey, gravy, if we win. And they just won. Voters approved voter ID in this state as a constitutional amendment. So it's a requirement now. Although Democrats think we shouldn't even have been asked. Because, you know, that legislative body wasn't comprised of uh, enough Democrats. And the ones uh, that were there, they were elected under maps that were ruled to be gerrymanders. And so they should never have been allowed to put the measure up for a vote. And we should never have been able to vote on it. So if Democrats had their way, there would be less democracy. That's their argument. Right. The defenders of democracy oppose going to the public and asking the citizens, the voters, to change the Constitution or not. We had the opportunity to say, no, we don't want voter ID. But... It's like 55% of us said, yes, we would like voter ID. It was a landslide. So uh, then once we passed the referendum, put it into the Constitution, now the legislature had to write a law to implement it. And so they wrote a law, and they made our voter ID law one of the most liberal voter ID laws in America. It was modeled after other laws in other states that had all passed constitutional review by the courts, by U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court cleared Georgia's. Ours is more liberal than those other states. Still not enough. You almost get the idea here that there is no voter ID law that Democrats would ever support, which is weird because when they commissioned the report after the 2000 election, the Federal Elections Commission Got James Baker III, you know, Republican lawyer guy, right, and uh, Bush administration official, James Baker, and um, and Jimmy Carter, 
and they did a blue ribbon commission looking at election integrity issues because it was after 2000. And although Democrats were screaming about, you know, the election was rigged, it was stolen from them, all of that. This was look, that was a long time ago. These were the days when you weren't an insurrectionist, when you said the election was rigged. You weren't a denier back then. So uh, they put out a report and that report said voter ID should be implemented. And you should make IDs available for free for everybody. Yeah, that's the way to do that. That Why is this so difficult? So uh, North Carolina Democrats on the state Supreme Court, they lost their reelection uh, a couple weeks ago. And so they are now the uh, lame duck court. They knew they were going to lose or they strongly suspected and so they, uh, they fast-tracked a couple of these cases so they could decide them before they walk out the door. So it's a zombie court. And these are the people that were also talking about, you know, the, the reputational damage done to the courts by, you know, activist rulings. And we're very concerned about the reputational harm and all this. And then they do this. These are the kinds of people that we're dealing with here. So uh, both rulings featured uh, party line votes, four, three, four Democrats, three uh, Republicans, because the other one was on a redistricting map for the state Senate races. They also ruled for Democrats in that case, too. Um, Anita Earls, activist turned judge. No problem there, by the way, when it's it's because it's different when Democrats do it. Okay, that's what you always need to remember. It's not hypocrisy. It's not a double standard. It's just different when they do it, okay? So Anita Earls wrote the opinion in the Holmes v. Moore case, which throws out the 2018 voter ID law. So four years, four years ago, this law, yeah. She wrote, while most people who have one of the acceptable forms of photo identification do not run the risk of being disenfranchised by this statute, the experiences of the plaintiffs and other witnesses at trial showed that for themselves and others like them, the risk of disenfranchisement is very real. But the guarantee of equal protection of the law means that a law enacted with the intent to discriminate on the basis of race is unconstitutional, even if no voter ultimately is disenfranchised, because racial classifications of any sort pose the risk of lasting harm to our society. You hear what she said? So first off, everybody, every one of the plaintiffs, they all said that for me personally, I will not be disenfranchised. So these are the people that are claiming harm is being done to them. And they're acknowledging there is no harm being done to them. Simply that there is a risk. There's a risk of disenfranchisement. I may not be, look, I may not be able to get a driver's license at some point, too. I don't know. I can't tell the future. But the guarantee of equal protection means that a law enacted with the intent to discriminate on the basis of race is unconstitutional, even if no voter ultimately is disenfranchised. What does that mean? She's first off, she's assuming she knows every motive of every lawmaker that wrote the bill, I guess, and supported it. So every one of those lawmakers are racist. They did it to in order to discriminate. Right. That, that's what she's saying. She knows what their motivations were. She knows, I guess, what all the voters motivations were, which is weird because it's a popular thing. Voter ID is popular among every racial demographic, among every uh, all, all the genders, all 78 of them. Right. It, it, it's a popular thing across the board. So not only does she know all the motives of everybody that is weighed in on this matter, either at the polling place or at uh, at the legislative chamber, 
But not only that, it doesn't even matter if it works. It doesn't matter if anybody's actually ever disenfranchised. It's just that Anita knows your heart. Earl's knows. Anita Earl's knows your motive. And so it doesn't matter if anybody's actually disenfranchised. It doesn't matter if it worked. And by the way, voter ID does work, just not in the way she thinks. You put voter ID and election integrity measures in place and turnout increases. Georgia is the example. It, it, yeah, turnout increases. Justice Phil Berger Jr. wrote the dissent. He said the plain language of the law shows no intent to discriminate against any group or individual. And there's no evidence that it was passed with race in mind, let alone a racially discriminatory intent. The majority, the Democrats, say, uh, or they're relying on a misapplication of relevant case law and on its own inferences to reach a contrary result. What does that mean? That means exactly what I just said, right? On its its own inferences. They're just making it up. (laughs) She's just making it up. But this is refreshing. Up in New York City, the Democrat District Attorney Michael McMahon endorsed a proposed election law change in a blistering grand jury report uh, after a lengthy investigation into widespread 2021 absentee ballot fraud, including allegations that campaign operatives forged voter signatures and submitted ballots from dead people. One of those recommendations, voter ID. Government-issued voter ID. Then there's this. Tying back to the topic of the last uh, of earlier in the show, New York City Mayor Eric Adams has announced that the city is going to start hospitalizing the dangerously mentally ill, even involuntarily in some cases, in an effort to curb some of the senseless violence and crime that has gripped the city, as mentally ill people have been responsible for some stabbings and beatings and even shoving people in front of oncoming trains. Quote, it's not acceptable for us to see someone who clearly needs help and walk past. For too long, there's been a gray area where policy, law, and accountability have not been clear. And this has always, uh, or sorry, this has allowed people that are in need to slip through the cracks. He said the policy he's proposing explicitly states when it's appropriate to use the process to hospitalize a person suffering from mental illness, even if they do not want to go. What's funny here is that CBS News in New York, they repeatedly call it a controversial decision. And then you get the usual suspects demonizing it, like um, the New York City um, Civil Liberties Union, New York Civil Liberties, uh, NYCLU. And Vocal New York, Vocal NY. It's only going to make things worse. This is so controversial. This was actually the norm for years. (laughs) This isn't... I, this is what was done before, right? Bill Burr, the comedian, talks about that in his uh, one of his latest uh, stand-up routines, where you know someone's acting a little bit crazy, and you know next thing the you know the van would show up, and some guys in white suits would jump out, and they would put a jacket on you with sleeves that are really really long, you know, and then he'd take you away. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe there's some hope for New York. A little bit. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Now through January 6th, it is the Light the Nights Festival. 
Truist Field in Center City. You got ice skating. You got snow tubing. You got Christmas tree displays. You got holiday treats. You got live entertainment, Santa Claus, shopping, light shows. Find the best local Christmas gifts as you explore the holiday market. You could try the European menu at the Charlotte Christmas Village as well. And uh, check out the snow tubing hill, 150 feet long. It's the uh, Light the Nights Festival at Truist Field now through January 6th. A um, couple of messages here. Uh, this one is from my friend Ray Cooper. That's his Twitter handle. It's a Pete tweet. The housing first failure. This was we were talking about housing first versus shelter first on how to address homelessness. The housing first failure comes from the cascade of people who fail to adapt. So let's say you have an 80% success rate of getting people off drugs with housing first, right? You set up a housing development, you got uh, you got 100 units, and 80 of the people that get put in the units, 80 out of the 100, um, they get clean, they stay sober, and and you've, you've helped them move on in their lives, right? Fantastic. Okay, but what, what does that mean? It means there's 20% left over. So they stay in the units. All right, so now instead of 100 units, you got 80. All right, so now you refill that with 80. Well... If it's the same sort of percentage, let's say it's still an 80% success rate. Well, now those people, the 80% of the 80, right, they graduate through, but another core group of the 20 stays behind. You move 80 more in and then graduate out 66. Now you got 36 people who are permanently in housing units still using drugs. And before long, it's inevitable that all the beds are full of people who are using drugs and not trying to get sober. So that's uh, that's a good way to break it down. Thank you for that. Uh, Ray, let's see here. Do, 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 on the CDC study, why isn't... Yeah, why does... Oh, so this is from The Hellion. He says, uh, why isn't the left tracking down every life management ordeal that requires an ID? They should be marching nonstop against all things that require ID. Right? This is the thing that kills me. The amount of money that has been spent by these leftists suing and the amount of money that has been spent defending these voter ID laws. You could have given every single person in this state an ID. You could have, yeah, you could have funded what the General Assembly tried to fund in their law was a mobile voter ID van or a state issue ID van. And so you could book it and it would come to your house. And they would do do the paperwork, take the picture, give you your ID, a, a mobile ID station. And then I think uh, they were going to have it, you know, park off campus just to make it some extra money, you know, among the college kids. Like, so uh, was that all worth it? It depends, right? What's the primary objective? Is it to kill the ID? Is it to kill voter ID? Is that the primary objective? Or is it to cast Republicans as racists? Because, and what is that? And what's the purpose behind that? I've talked about this before. As a voting demographic, as a block, right? When you look at different groups of people and how they vote, only one racial demographic votes to the degree for one party as african-american voters do and it's for democrat and it's 90 plus percent and if and if that demographic 
were to split like any other demographic, you would see Democrats never win. So it is of vital importance for that party for black voters to believe that Republicans are racist. That it is it is necessary for that party. I mean, yes, it's destructive for the whole society and race relations and, you know, all of that. But, I mean, sometimes you got to crack some eggs, you know, to make an omelet. In this case, a Democrat omelet. So sorry. Um, let me see here. Did I have? I thought I may have had. I did. Uh, this is from Stan, who says, Stan, I don't know what's happening here. Uh, I'm getting multiple copies of your messages, though. Um, to my uh, email, Pete at the Pete Callender Show dot com. Pete, going forward, whenever I hear the term breaking news, I'll think I'm being teased. And another celebrity is announcing their new digital trading cards or something. <laughs> no, no, it's not breaking. Although, this is the problem, right? When the media overuses the term breaking news for things that aren't actually breaking news, it desensitizes people. It's the boy who cried wolf, and then nobody listens. Uh, what you're thinking of is major announcement. Major announcement. Which, I gotta say... He put out what he made forty five thousand. So he says they made forty five thousand of those uh, Donald Trump superhero digital trading cards, and they sold them for ninety nine bucks a piece. He sold out. He made like four and a half million dollars for America, obviously. Um, he says, "I want to tune out, unless, of course, you can coin several terms to signify like varying degrees of importance when you think there's important public information to disseminate." You know, similar to your term votainer, right? You so so I got to come up. Look, I appreciate the confidence you are placing in me, Stan, to come up with another set of words to have sort of a, a, a grading scale of breaking news, but um, or major announcement uh, or you know degrees of announcements, major, minor, and everything in between. But I can't even get votainer to catch on yet, right? But yes, you did spell it correctly. It's V-O-T-A-I-N-E-R, votainer, the way it is envisioned. It is, right, it should be a word. It should be a word. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's China Cut Sunflower. All right, I got a couple more messages here. Hey, Pete, this is the biggest thing to happen in the Carolinas since Lizard Man roamed the Congaree swamps. Next week, we'll be releasing my Listener Dan Virtual Collector Trading Card Series. And get this, they're only $49.99 each. Each card pictures an artist's rendition of me in jeans and a T-shirt. Eating pizza and drinking Milwaukee's best from the can. These are rare collector's treasures. They'll make swell Christmas gifts this year. But more importantly, they are much like the Jelly of the Month Club. They truly are the gift that keeps on giving the whole year round. Please send a check. We're not set up for credit cards yet. Holiday cheers. That sounds like a it sounds like a great idea, Dan. Um, I don't know who this. Uh, this doesn't have a name. PB? I'm just going to call you PB. Okay. We were at North Lake Mall about eight months ago. We saw three 
thugs grabbing armloads of merchandise from a store and the clerk following them and saying, hey, you can't do that. They said, watch us. Security was called, but told the store clerk that there was nothing they could do about it. They had been instructed to just let them go. As we left, another group of guys were entering the store, obviously intent on doing the same thing. Charlotte, in general, seems to be going downhill. We live in Hendersonville and were there for a concert. We did not feel comfortable at the mall at all. Um, Regarding uh, government going beyond its... I think this was on the discussion of... uh, Yeah, I think this was about the government uh, funding... Things outside of its core mission, I think maybe. Jay sent an email saying, Pete, there are a lot of lame commercials on WBT paid for by government. That's that's fair. (laughs) Uh, And Tim says, who in Hades does not have an ID today? Only ones that are in the country illegally, maybe some college students from another state that want to vote here, dead people, and maybe some imaginary people who want to vote. (laughs) Right. This is the thing. The... It is becoming more and more difficult for them to find plaintiffs for these lawsuits on voter ID who don't have an ID because they were not born in a hospital and didn't get government records or they were, you know, the daughter of a a freed slave or something like that because we're just moving so far away from that from that generation. Right. As we're at the point now where everybody has these these documents Except for those who are undocumented. Yes, of course, that would be the, that's the problem. Okay. Um, speaking of immigrants, Elon Musk, back in the news, I was watching this develop last night, and I got to tell you, like, I'm, I, I'm of two minds on this. I can, I can see, this is my problem, is I can see both sides of this. So for starters, I just would like to say to the, what, eight or so journalists, quote-unquote, from corporate media outlets... How do you like it now? All right, sorry. I just had to get that out of my system. They got banned. They got suspended on Twitter last night for what Elon Musk described as doxing him. Why? Because there is an account that got set up called Elon's Jet, and it was done by some guy in Florida. He's like 20 years old. He wrote a code that collects information from what was originally Uh, deemed public information about Elon's private jets whereabouts. And there's this whole system. I don't understand the technology, but uh, it pings stuff or whatever. And then you can determine where flights are. You ever use like a flight tracker program on your phone to find out where you are or where the plane is. If you're waiting on it, same concept. So a guy makes this bot and it, and it all it did. And he said he'd made it because he was an Elon Musk fan. He wanted a Tesla. And so he was just always intrigued about Elon Musk, and so he creates this bot. Elon Musk at some point asked him to stop. He refused. Elon Musk then said he would buy the thing from him, and he said no. Um, and then Elon Musk went and got his tracking system in the plane. He got it masked, which you can do, apparently, through the FAA. But the guy then found a workaround, bragged about it, and kind of you know tweaked his bot's computing and so all he was doing was post uh, this Twitter account. All it did was tell you where Elon Musk's private jet was. And then the other night, some black clad Antifa stereotypical person follows and stalks what he thought was Elon Musk. Turned out to be Elon Musk's toddler in a car. The, this maniac jumps out of their car 
climbs all over on the Musk vehicle, and then Musk, I guess, sees what's happening. I guess they were near the house or something, whatever. He goes out and he shoots video of this guy and his license plate. So then, of course, and then they put out a rule. uh, They tweak their rules saying you cannot dox. If you dox, you're automatically suspended if you have an account that is um, dedicated to doxing. Uh, which is documented. It's it's a internet term. It just means taking people's personal information, even if it's publicly available information. But you take that that information and you post it up in order to incite harassment. Right? That's the whole reason. And Antifa has been doing this stuff for years. They've been using Twitter to do this, and the left never cared. Conservatives have been getting banned and suspended for for you know not violating Twitter's terms of service. So they ban Elon puts in place this this rule after the stalker incident. They put in place this rule and then they immediately suspend the the guy who is tracking his jet. These media people, these reporters hear about this, they're outraged. How could you do such a thing? And so they start sharing links to another social media page of the Elon jet guy. So he set up another page. When he got suspended, he set up another page on Mastodon, which is where all of the lefties and uh, NPR, they're like, we're totally going to Mastodon. It's like, it's like their Gab or Parler or MeWe or whatever. Like, so it's, it's, it's where they say they're going to go. So he sets up this other account there. So these journalists on Twitter, apparently, they started sharing links to the Mastodon account. And so they got suspended. And then they cried and cried, and oh, my little schadenfreude did rejoice. I got to admit, I got a good, I mean, there's a little part of me. No, it's a, it's a pretty big part. It's a pretty big part of me that's like, how do you like it now? How do you, how do you like how it feels? Because this has been happening to conservatives for a decade. You guys got a day of it. A day of it. And you're doxing somebody. Like, what is the... What is the point of knowing where Elon Musk's jet is? Seriously. Who, why do you need to? And, the, and then they started attacking Musk saying, oh, you're, uh, uh, you took a picture of that stalker's license plate. You doxed him. Like, no, that's not, that's not doxing somebody because the only people who have access to that information about the license plate would be law enforcement, right? Government agencies. There's nothing he can do to whip up a mob against a, a person in a, or a license plate on a car. Anyway, there is a part of me that's like relishing this. But the other part of me is saying, this is not a good tone to set. I understand he was mad about the, uh, uh, about the stalker and the threat to his kid. I totally understand that. But I don't think that the, I don't think permanent suspensions, even of these leftist journalists that I hate, who, by the way, I'll tell you what one of them said, Taylor Lorenz. She's and she's like the worst. She's just awful, and she doxes people for a living. So now she's going to be out of a job, I guess, on Twitter because um, she said, "Oh yeah, the person I usually call at Twitter has been fired by Elon." Like with the purge, they got let go. So I don't have any way to contact anybody there anymore. And that I think is really what's going on. They lost their keys to the kingdom, and they are raging. They are throwing temper tantrums, and they hate Elon Musk so much. He's also, by the way fulfilling the uh, I hate daddy uh, relationship that uh, Donald Trump no longer fulfills for them. And they're addicted to a Twitter. That too. So 
There's a lot of bunch of stuff going on. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993, WBT. Yeah, I, I find it absolutely amazing that the people who who did not care about censorship, about lack of an appeals process, about arbitrary bans on Twitter, now all of a sudden think that democracy is at stake because they amplified personal information that tracked Elon Musk's whereabouts. On the platform he owns. Here's the thing, too. Like, I understand uh, the arguments. Like, oh, public information. Yes, and he took steps to try to mask that information. Yes, I get it. I Like, I don't understand the news value. And this is, this is an arena that I have worked in for 20-plus years, okay? I mean, since high school. Since high school, I've been involved in, you know, high school newspaper, college newspaper, then working in radio news for, well, since 1997. So I think I have a pretty good sense, a little bit, of what the particular news value would be of certain information, and I can't figure out what the news value is to know where Elon Musk's plane is. Unless you're trying to, like, recreate, like, did he have a meeting with somebody? Let's go back and check the flight logs so you can see the patterns or whatever. But... To just simply create an, an AI bot that follows somebody's plane around just to tell you where their plane is located, there is no news value to that. There isn't. And what these reporters engaged in was piling on. They're, they're, they're bullies is what they are. right? They were engaged in a harassment campaign, and they thought that the rules don't apply to them. And so they go on to a, a Twitter spaces, which is like a, a phone chat or group chat kind of deal. So you got all these people in there, and it was open. So, like, there were, I guess, hundreds or thousands of people that were in there, but they were only on listen, so only a few people were allowed to talk, and it was the reporters that got banned. And then Elon Musk comes in. Elon Musk comes in, which, by the way, I can tell you, the old CEOs uh, and, and leaders of Twitter, they never did that for the other people that got banned. They never did that for those guys. You got banned. You got banned. That was it. He went into that room. I'll tell you what he said. Hang on. Two six packs of shiner. 99 cent butane lighter. Lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron. Ice down that igloo cooler. Take a gas at all to do her. I can feel a good one coming on Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard Sing along to Redneck Mother Any blues I had before are gone Another working week is over No chance of staying sober Elon Musk goes into this group chat 
And he tells them, I'm sure everybody who's been doxxed would agree, showing real-time info about somebody is inappropriate. From now on, there's no distinction between journalists and regular people. Followed us down to the lake and didn't have to think about that too long. Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight, situation couldn't be more right. I can feel a good one coming on. says journalists and regular people there's no distinction everyone's going to be treated the same you're not special <laughs> yeah you're not you're just like us no it's like those features in the magazines they're just like us yeah you're just a journalist you can get banned too all right i'll see you monday don't break anything while i'm gone oh,